yes, psychedelics are powerful, powerful medicines and tools, and they are bridges and they are mirrors. But we've got to get to the point where we are willing to clean our own mirror. And that's why I often talk about cleaning the mirror of womb, because what we hold in our womb, especially as women, is a mirror for us to look into. Welcome to the New Wave Entrepreneur, where we dive headfirst into Web 3.0, personal sovereignty, spirituality, and psychology. These conversations are unfiltered access to brilliant minds and actionable advice that will prepare you for the rapidly changing world. So jump in. The water is warm and the tide is rising. My friends, welcome back to another episode of the New Wave Podcast. Daniel Tibiazza checking in with you here. So happy to have you. Today on the show, we have a new friend of mine, Asafa Boga, who is uh, who is a, a somatic healer, and she is therapist, an energy healer, a womb alchemist, and a mystic who also supports clients with psychedelic integration and preparation. And this I thought was so fascinating. One, because um, I'm well, I'm well kind of versed in the ideas around psychedelic integration and preparation, but I also wanted to learn more about um, what what her ideas for the womb and reproduction and uh, femininity had to do with me because I'm thinking at some point I'll be a father and I, that's interesting to me so I wanted to hear about what she had to say and uh, and you know so so we're gonna dive into that with her uh, I think you're gonna find this conversation fascinating we get we, we go from everything from you know from food to uh, to the to perinatal experiences and, and psychedelic trances. Uh, so so uh, jump in with us. And while you're here, make sure you go to newwaveentrepreneur.com. This is where we're having all the updates on the show. This is where you can go and join the Discord. This is where you can get updates on the workshops we're putting together and the new wave dinner experiences. So make sure you go up there, sign up for our email list. Make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on, Spotify, iTunes, et cetera, et cetera. Leave a comment, leave a review. It means a lot uh, and it helps us every little bit count. So thank you so much. And I'll catch you on the other side. Not because they don't want to be Africans, but because they they wanted independence. It was quite a rich island. Like a lot of the Arab um, royalty, especially from Oman, Yemen, they used to go to Zanzibar with their holiday homes and like it was their paradise playground, right? So of course they wanted independence. Yeah. yeah. They want to do what they want to do, right? No, that, that makes sense. We were talking about, I, I just turned the recording on because this is actually very interesting. We were talking uh, and we'll, at some point we will go back, but we, we were talking about where we're from. And um, and Safa is here on the podcast, and I'll do an intro later at some point. And I'll I'll I'm gonna read your you know your credentials and everything. And we'll do like a nice tidy wrap up. But let's just let's just keep talking, okay? So because I want to keep talking about we're talking about food. Yeah, um, you're making me hungry now. Well, yeah. Well, one thing I've been studying is I've been looking at a masterclass um, on um, Japanese cooking, and I want to learn how to make really good sashimi which is just a really clean fish. It doesn't have a lot of like intense flavor, but it tastes really clean. It's very, very healthy for you. And you have to go to like 
a fishmonger, like an actual fish market to get this really good fish. Then there's a way to also make the rice too Japanese style. And I want to start learning. And, and when you plate it, it's also really cool to see how you can plate it. And then you can artistically set it up so that it look, it feels better when you eat it. If it, if it, the presentation is nice, you know? Absolutely. And the knives, the Japanese knives are incredible. Mm-hmm. They're like works of art. They're oh yeah. The, the really sharp knives. You can I, I blow your to. whole crypto budget on a knife. <laughs> knife. <laughs> you could, you could, I mean, it even, maybe even get one of those huge, uh, the, the, the katanas, the swords, just, just for, just for the kitchen. Yeah. That would make a great video. Like this guy in the background. He's a samurai. The samurai. Um, so, okay. Let's, let's talk about it. We, where to start with you? Okay. Well, first of all, um, how do we connect? Did we connect via, via Instagram? Yes. Well, I, I, um, I reached out on your Instagram because you were looking for more women to join you on your podcast and That's talk right. about women in um, the space of psychedelic and plant medicine work and healing work. What I remember and what interested me about you just looking at you from the outsider's perspective and, and getting a look at your work is that you specialize in helping women understand their womb and create uh, some healing practices around that. And that's interesting to me because I'm like, oh, well, some point in the future, I'll be a father. And this is interesting information for me. Um, so I, and, and also it's like, I, there's, there's not a lot of people really talking about that. I think I don't, I think it's such a specific area mm. of focus that it would be great to hear that perspective. Um, so I, I love that we, uh, that we were, that we were having the food combo. Maybe we can bring it back to that, but um, why don't you take us back in time and talk a little bit about how you got to where you are now. And then we can dive in on more specific ideas that you've been helping women to understand. Sure, sure. So my journey began about seven years ago. And like pretty much everyone in this work, um, I went through my own personal journey of trying to understand why my body was responding the way it was. And I didn't understand that I was chronically stressed at that time. I was working in tech and I was having all sorts of physical symptoms, which, you know, the doctors would be like, well, there's nothing wrong with you. The tests show that you're fine. And I knew I wasn't fine. Um, And I knew I had to dig deeper and I had to go deeper into what was going on. So I I'm that kind of person that I'll go down the rabbit hole if I know I need to and I'm going to get what I need. So I went straight in to um, the jungle. I went to the Amazon jungle and I started working with um, ayahuasca plant medicine. And it was purely for the purpose of going deeper within myself and healing my own trauma and going on a path of inner growth. So I already knew at that point, like, this is going to be really important. This is something I need to do. And that opened everything for me because that shifted my reality from a purely physical reality um, to something deeper and to the the energetic dimension and to the dimension of I create my own reality. So when I stepped into that level of um, self-responsibility and self-accountability, as I call it, where I was able to look back on everything that I felt had happened to me, and actually say, well, what role did I play in creating all of this? And I started to take responsibility for it. Everything in my life, my health, everything started to change really, really fast. And I continued working with medicine for, and lots of different plant medicines for about three years, um, as well as doing somatic healing, psychotherapy, pretty much any type of healing. What's somatic healing? Somatic healing is um, nervous system integration. So finding the patterns that are held inside the body and the organs and the tissues and releasing them through a somatic, a body and emotion based experience. So not just talking about it, like feeling it, feeling really. 
So I did lots of different types of healing work for many years. And then what stuck with me was this, the point of creation. And the deeper I went, I kept being shown and having these like death experiences. So self-dissolution, death before death. And I would ask people about like, you know, why am I seeing this? And why is this happening to me? And, and no one really gave me an answer, right? Like and Indra's net was like open all around me. And I was like trying to ask the shaman, like, what is that? Like, what's, why am I seeing all these eyes like interwoven in a web, like staring back at me? And it like responds when I respond, like why are the stars <laughs> responding when I, when I laugh, they like laugh back at me. Like what's going on? And they're just like, so it got to the point where like I was in ayahuasca ceremonies and like my entire cranium was, was like being reorganized. Like my bones were moving and my DNA was like re- rewiring itself in front of me and I could see what was happening and I was sh- being shown like what was happening and it changed my perspective of reality. Like this is possible. This has happened to me, not just in one experience, but like I worked with plant medicine like hundreds of times. So it was repeated and continuous and consistent experiences of going beyond the body, going to the point of creation. And every time that I went to that point, it mirrored back me. And I gradually accepted it and stopped becoming a victim and started to embody my, my physical structure, my, my femininity, my feminine energy. And then my womb space started to show me the point of creation. And that's when I started being taken deeper into the layers of womb. So not just the physical womb space that we associate with women, but actually the spiritual womb space that every single gender has. And then the cosmic womb, which we exist in, mm. and the void of womb, the ultimate void, which is the, the you know, Buddhists call it shunyata, in Islam it's al-Rahman, it's the nothingness. So that's the journey that I help um, people to, to go on. It's a healing journey, but it's also a journey of transcendence and spiritual mastery. And it requires, yeah, really radical self-accountability, self-honesty and deep somatic integrity. So that was my journey from pain into the purpose, really, where I am right now, which is working um, with people all around the world now to take them into deeper levels of their own healing journey and their own human potential. Was that all? Um, (laughs) I I love it. And here's what I wrote down uh, while you were speaking. So this is what it reminds me of. Uh, there's an author named Stanislav Grof, uh, who, yeah, who's done a lot of work in LSD and psychedelic research over the years. And he wrote a book called, uh, like, The Beyond the Brain. Yeah, Holotropic uh, yeah. Breathwork and Beyond the Brain, yeah. yeah. And uh, so in that book, he talks about perinatal experiences. Yeah. So experiences either um, during the birth experience or right before, right after the birth experience in experiences in the womb and how those experiences shape our personality, how those experiences shape our, our destiny yeah. and how they also affect us at a level that we're unaware of. Uh, or, although sometimes we can recall those memories. And I wonder. That work is so important. And I've studied a lot of Stan Groff's work, um, particularly when I was doing my master's and specialized in, um, in utero trauma and healing approaches for this kind of very deep and often pre-personal um, and ancestral level of conditioning, yes. right? And these these matrices that he developed and how, I, like basically my, my approach was like, how can we expand upon these and integrate them more into the neurological reality that we exist in and the energetic reality that yeah. is available? Because a lot of what he didn't make sense of was the um, geometric reality 
of um, the fabric of our existence, particularly of the womb, like the flower of life. So when people, right. when in his studies, when things would come up for people and it was like very um, geometrical and image-based, he put it down to it being trauma. He put it down to it being non, he called it something like nonsensical information, like as if it's like garbage from the neurons that's been discarded. Sure. So he didn't actually take into account the energetic um, level that they were dropping into through the LSD experience, which was the geometric, like probably the one, the layer before the void, right? The as, as deep as you can go, right, into being just the mathematical geometry of it all. And that's where it becomes really important. So the work I do um, to help people, whether it's um, in utero trauma, birth trauma, sexual trauma, anything really that relates to the womb. So I have a program called Womb Room where we go on that journey from <laughs> ancestral healing to our inception into earth and the, and the life force and the energy that we bring in with us and our in utero experience and conception dynamics, our birth experience. And we basically go through that whole journey as a group because the womb is the world and we exist in it together. And people heal all those aspects and levels in a somatic way without the LSD. And a lot of people have said, this is like a, this is like an ayahuasca journey, the depth of the field and the, and the work that they can do in this, in this space that I've created. So it's, it's very relevant to, to the work that you're bringing in. And it's super important because a lot of this stuff can't be resolved through the traditional methods. Yes. Because it's, yes. you, you don't know it's there, right? It's not something you can talk about if you were in, like the, the imprints that are in the early nervous system before it's even fully formed that start to generate impulses that start to create the neurological web that start to then create the body, the spine, the brain, et cetera. That's pre-verbal. You don't even know. Mm -hmm. You just feel it, right? Yep. But you can only feel it when yep. you drop into a deep enough level of stillness, right? And you get a guide to help you interpret the sensations. So yes, he did that with LSD. And I do that with my field. Take people deep enough to feel it. Then they can start to release and process and heal. Yeah, I mean... So for anyone who's listening to this and, you know, we do talk about psychedelics on here and, and that's, it's, it's fun, but psychedelics and psychedelic experiences aren't necessarily one and the same. And you can have a psychedelic experience completely sober. Uh, although I guess you wouldn't be technically sober if you're having that experience, but you don't need drugs to induce it. Uh, we did uh, an event on my 30th birthday, which is back in 2018. And I had uh, 15 people over and we had a, a beautiful space we rented in Topanga, which is in the mountains, also in the mountains of LA. I like the mountains of LA, also in Topanga. And we had this big, uh, this big house with a giant, a giant uh, outdoor studio, an outdoor yoga studio. And we did um, some really intense holotropic breath work. And we had multiple people have basically astral project, have spiritual experiences. Uh, one person connected with his father who passed away and like was having a whole, you know, like transcendent conversation with him and just there was so much energy released in that room. And so, and, and the energy of the space was so um, vibrationally potent, I guess you could say. And that mm. was just created from the intention of people coming to one area to do something, to do some work, plus some manual, you know, practices, but just <gasps> really, it's not that big of a deal, but the big result that it can create is out, is outstanding. And I'd never seen that many people have those types of breakthroughs with no, hallucinogens yeah it's, it's absolutely it's incredible. incredible it's a, and especially doing it as a group that's where it gets mm -hmm. really powerful a lot of mm -hmm. 
healing work indigenously was done as a group in a tribe in a family those systems have broken down and now we're doing it all individually and we're wondering why we feel so alone on this spiritual path and we're supposed to do this work together we're supposed to heal together because everyone's like mirroring each other and it catal it's a catalyst like what you're like what you're saying like probably those people may not have been able to drop that deep on their own but yeah being given permission yep when the person next to them is just releasing like it, it activates something in you to go oh i've got permission too and that's what's really really powerful um i've had doctors come into my space and they've said i've never witnessed people healing that deeply in such a short amount of time such without any type of substance and i just didn't even even imagine that was possible and it is possible as you say like yes psychedelics are powerful powerful medicines and tools and they are bridges and they are mirrors, but we've got to get to the point where we are willing to clean our own mirror. And that's why I often talk about cleaning the mirror of womb, because what we hold in our womb, especially as women, is a mirror for us to look into. And often it's too painful to look into our own womb. It's too painful to look into the mirror because of what it's holding. It could be biographical trauma, sexual trauma. It could be a physical a structural issue with the pelvis that's created tension in, in the muscles that's created imbalance that's making it painful to go in there. It could be hormonal issues could, from unresolved trauma. It could be ancestral trauma that's being held there. A lot of what is held in the womb is shame. Shame is an existential wound. I am not worthy enough to be here existing now. And when you can heal womb and you can look inside the mirror and see that you are worthy and you don't need a substance to take you there, you just feel it. Your substance is your womb. Your nectar is there. Your flow is opened. You're free to exist, to be. And that is incredible, powerful medicine that every single human being holds in their body, men and women. Yeah, I mean, it, what you're saying makes me think of, there's this idea that that enlightenment is not adding things to you, but removing what's, what, it, what is not you. And so to see that you are worthy, to see that you are enough, to see that you are already what the thing that you're looking for, that that which you are seeking is really just removing the falsehoods it's really just removing the bullshit that's around the already perfect. Exactly. Yeah, there's exactly. an already a perfect being there, you know, and we have to remove yeah. the trash. We think that we need to add things to make ourselves more perfect, yeah. but it's really an act of removal. It is. It's a shedding. And that's why, shedding. you know, you often see the, the symbol of snake when you look at, you know, yeah. medicine and rebirth. And it is yeah. a, it's a stripping away. That's what I call it, divine deconstruction. So my students yeah. know it as divine deconstruction. Like I tell them, we're not yeah. here to learn our creative power by deconditioning and divinely deconstructing ourselves of what we have created by taking ownership of what we've created, even when it's unconscious and we think it's happened to us. We've co-created it. Can we undo that? And we dissolve. And that is why a lot of people seek high levels of transcendence and um, psychedelic medicines because you're doing work in a state of self-dissolution you know not maybe not entirely gone but you are detached from your normal desires and belief systems so you have space to operate space yeah. to change to calibrate yeah most of us never spend any time in that non-personal space everything is personalized everything yeah. is about the identify the identity that i can have that i inhabit and if you can get some distance from that personal identity for a, for a while, and even if you can just remember what it felt like to not be your individual identity, it puts things in perspective a lot. Massively, massively. massively. You know, when you realize, oh, I'm just one perspective 
of a universal consciousness recognizing itself sometimes, mostly. That's right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's right. That's, that's, that's like, exactly that's it. Right. And even if you just say that to yourself, what well, you just said, like once yeah. a day, and if you yeah. have a, a tiny glimmer of that experience once a yeah. day, it's, it's priceless. Priceless. It's like a gopher popping his head out of the sand. Oh, back in, you know? Yeah. We can't expect to live there. We we can't no. expect to, to live in that place, right? We are here to have our our identity and to and to dance with it and create something and to learn from what we've created and which is which is often the pain that we experience in our identity and the struggle. And then we go back in and we go, why, why, why this? Why not something else? Well, you tell me, right? Your higher self speaks back and says, you tell me, why not? It's all available to you. And we can keep, you know, we keep doing that. That's what the inner work is about. It never really ends, in my view. Yeah. Why would you want it to end? That yeah, that's that's the that's the funny thing too. Like that's something I've come to think about more and more is that everything in my life, really understanding, really internalizing the idea that everything in my life I am creating. Everything and, and it starts with how I'm feeling about things, how I'm thinking about things, how I'm seeing things, and starting to catch yourself in the act of of warping your own perception you know, which can happen frequently if we don't have, if we can't step back from the thinker, you know, one layer behind that um, and see that we're, we're making a lot of these stories up. Even like, I don't know, for me, it shows up a lot in, um, I'll have resistance to things. Like I'll have, I'll have uh, a goal for something and then I'll have resistance to the resistance to the actions that I would need to, to take to get the goal. So I'll find myself in this constant battle of, uh, you know, resistance versus willpower. And I'm like, I'm creating all the internal resistance. So I'm the one creating the resistance. There is no real resistance. It's my thought about the project. Or it's my thought about the people involved in the project. It's my, and they're not even giving me that resistance. And there is no actual barrier, just me creating that circumstance. And so I can click and change it in an instant if I want. But for some reason, I enjoy having the resistance of putting that barrier up so that I can mentally complain about it so that I can then overcome the complaining. It doesn't make sense, but I, so to catch myself in doing that, and I'll still do it sometimes. Yeah, because you're a creative being. Right. And you want to learn from You do that? Yourself. Yeah, absolutely. That's how I teach myself, right? right. It's excruciating sometimes. But excruciating. We're not going to learn from each other. If it's your experience, but it's not my experience, it doesn't resonate. It has to be my experience. And I'm only going to be able to dissolve my own belief systems and self-limiting belief systems if I experience the limitations that they bring into my physical reality and this is the joy like what you've what you've touched on is so powerful because when you have that level of awareness you do become kind of hyper aware and then you think well maybe i'm never going to experience resistance and life's just going to be endless flow and then you're like actually the universe that just kind of gives you more stuff and it's like hey digest that and you're like whoa that's even bigger than last year and it's showing you that you've expanded right you're expand your um your field has expanded. You can now hold more. So you can now take it on. You can learn from it. You can digest it. You've got more space. It, it, it's, you're totally right. It's similar to, uh, you know, I, uh, yesterday I was uh, getting home from, or I was changing out of my, my uniform. I was at jujitsu in the morning. And I was like 7 a.m. And I look at one of my training partners and, you know, I go, you'd think it gets easier, but it, it never does, you know, because we're both like relatively advanced now. We're like, yeah, we're, we're both, we've both been doing this. And I look at him, I go, you think it gets easier as you get, as your skill increases, but it doesn't get any easier, <laughs> you know? And it's the yeah. same with, with life as you continue to 
you know, expand yourself, you'd think it, that would make it easier because you're expanding, but really they're expanding then what you can, the capacity that you have. And then yeah. you have an equal amount of challenge to the offering. Yes. And when it comes to the, the inner somatic embodied spiritual path, what you're really doing is, is becoming even more sensitive, which means you're able to feel more without moving right? So mm-hmm. your, your level of stillness and groundedness and rootedness deepens and you become more se- uh, f- sensitive. Your interceptive depth increases. And that can often lead people to like um, more suffering because they, they, I can feel the suffering of the world and I can feel the suffering of my parents and I can feel my neighbors next door suffering. And, oh, yeah. and that, oh, yeah. now I've done all this work for myself, but now I'm suffering even more. And instead of saying, wow, I can feel more, I'm not numb. You know, feeling is the superpower behind everything, right? It's it's everything. You, if you can feel into it, you can heal it, you can move it, you can shapeshift it. You you are the alchemist through feeling, and that is a real gift. And it, the more we expand, the more we can feel, and it's it's really the more love we can feel. It doesn't always feel like that. It doesn't always feel like love. Sometimes it feels like madness, but it is love. Yeah, I um, I have I remember some experiences, uh, specifically like on an ayahuasca and on DMT where there were times that I felt like I was connected to the spiritual slash genetic telephone of everyone else's consciousness. I can feel and hear the thoughts and and experience the feelings of every single living consciousness on earth simultaneously. And that there was so much energy in that field that it was hard to handle. And I had to, I had to, I had to leave, but that's what's available. That's the totality that's available. It was like staring into the sun of suns you know, and just getting a a scoop of that love, you know, is. Yes. And it's training ourselves to stay in the love because we will naturally flicker away. And all it takes is a flicker or a gaze and and we've moved, we've closed it down, right? We've shut down that frequency. We've moved back to something more familiar. And when we go back and we learn, like, can I stay here and keep letting this, letting myself resonate in this love, in this, you you said power, like power, potency, can I allow myself to stay here and resonate here without turning away? And then noticing when we turn away to come back. That's ever never ending. We're never, we're never going to stop um, doing that. Opening and closing like a butterfly wing, like the birds, right? Opening and closing all the time, like the breath in and out. In the heartbeat of the earth, it just never stops. And we're doing that. We're opening and closing to love all the time. And that's a super powerful experience that, again, it requires like, on the topic of like integration of these like higher states of like psychedelic um, awareness or expands expanded consciousness, helping people to integrate what, like how could you integrate that experience into your daily life? How could you make that relevant for you in your daily life? Or how did you? For me, which experience? The experience of connecting to the, Oh, every single living being. (laughs) Oh, that one. Uh, Well, I can tell you for one thing, um, that it has um, put new meaning behind uh, a gratitude practice because uh, Despenda says it well. He says, uh, gratitude is the frequency of receivership. And I think that's a nice way of framing it. And when you have experienced that much love, it's almost, it's almost impossible not to open up because it just, it just forces you to. It's not like, you know, I, you don't have to be convinced to open up once you're exposed to that level of a frequency of a vibration. So I don't even take credit for like feeling more loving. It's just that you're exposed to a massive love radiation bomb. And so from that aspect, my gratitude, my, my, my gratitude practice and my meditation has gotten so much deeper uh, 
and I will, I find myself, um, I find myself on a daily basis, uh, stopping in the middle of my day and just being aware of the things that are happening and how I'm feeling a lot more than before. Uh, cause you were talking about feeling and how feeling is the root of everything. And I was thinking, as you were talking, I just learned how to feel like maybe seven years ago or something. I really just learned how to feel like maybe that's more common in, in men for sure. Uh, you know, we're more numb, kind of like just dead inside, you know, but then the, 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 some of the medicines just cracked me open and I, I almost didn't even know how to acknowledge or, or process feelings. And so it's taken me even a while to learn that, but so that's just, you're asking me how, how, how it is my day, my day to day, I will process my feelings. I will express my feelings. That's a, a powerful, um, a powerful weapon. And maybe people think, oh, I already do that, but I'm sure there are some things that, you know, I'm sure there are areas where you're not fully, you know, fully being present to. At least for me, I find that's yeah, very powerful. And to and to hear that from the masculine that I've I've given myself permission to feel and to express my love and my gratitude in my daily life, that's so powerful. That's so powerful for your wife, for people around you, you know, for your future children to have that model and that template that it's okay to feel, it's safe to feel. And where there's been, yeah. you know, for lots of people, their parents didn't feel. And as a result, they never felt the love from their parents because their parents were survivors of war. Their parents were traumatized. Their parents were, you know, um, uh, displaced. Their parents were yeah. chronically stressed. There wasn't space to feel. It wasn't safe to feel let alone the higher higher um, frequency emotions like gratitude and love mm-hmm. and self-recognition and belonging, collective belonging. Mm-hmm. If you've been in a, if your family is some of my clients, you know, their family have been living through the Holocaust or the genocide or, you know, just the level of ancestral trauma and abuse in their family has turned them all numb. How do you feel? Mm-hmm. So when you start feeling, you start becoming the new ancestor, you start bringing in all of this. And saying, you know what, my family, this is available to you now because I feel it. Yeah, a lot and of a lot beautiful. of uh, a lot of uh, communities will shun you for feeling. They will they will discourage you. They will they will make fun of you. They will uh, they will criticize you for expressing your feelings, especially as a male. You know, and that I think is uh, is just a, an old an old pattern to be to be stomped out. Well, you, if anyone can stomp it out, you can. And there's a, there's lots of really um, brave men that are leading in these spaces by talking about the truth of their emotions and their capacity to feel and you know leading in men's work and helping other men to feel and it's the divine masculine energy is like the way I the way I liken it in my own experience of integrating my divine masculine is it's like the the love in the web the web of everything it's like the the resonant stillness it feels everything anyway. You can't put a name on it. You can't put a name on him. You can't identify him. He just is all loving, all knowing awareness. And that is what all men are carrying within them, this capacity to love at this depth and therefore to feel at this depth. And what happens for a lot of people is their their qualities and their sensitivities are not nurtured. And then they end up in like dynamics, relationships, work situations where they're not allowed, they can't feel, they're not allowed to feel. Oh, yeah. Or all oh, they yeah. feel is the toxicity of the other person and the trauma of the other person. So then, you know, they they have to shut down that part of themselves because they're now in like feeling something that's moving in a really chaotic and unorganized way. And they don't know how to make sense of it because they've not been taught how to make sense of their internal sensations. That I, that, that resonates with me very, uh, very highly. Because uh, as as I was saying, like if you don't know how to 
feel your emotions, then you won't know what to do with the sensations when you feel them. You'll just yeah. feel, you'll just feel chaotic. You yes. know, because you won't have, you're not used. To, and, and also what I come to realize is that you can have layered emotions. So you can feel sad that you're stressed and you can feel stressed because you're angry and angry because you're upset. You know, you can have multiple layers. And if you just deal with the first layer, you're like, I still feel bad. And there's multiple layers to unpack about it. And, and sometimes, you know, guys don't, don't learn how to get past the first layer of I'm just mad, you know, but why are you mad? Yeah. You know, you're mad because I mean, Will Smith could use that advice. Why are you mad right now, Will? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're mad because, uh, because, you know, you're maybe because your wife never made you feel like you were enough for her. And even though, you know, it's been 25 years, you still think she's in love with a dead rapper who was arguably the best rapper of all time. And we, we understand that. And I probably would feel self-conscious too. But why are you slapping Chris Rock? Process it. Well, he tried, didn't he? He did a lot of ayahuasca. He did. He did. His whole book was about emotional uh, awareness. <laughs> I haven't actually read it, but I've, I've read it. Is it, is it good? It's, it's nice that you've, um, that you've brought him up. And it's nice yeah. to see someone in that position talk openly about um, doing that kind of inner work. And how humbled they've been by it. I think it's not an easy, not really, not an easy topic to talk about. When it comes to, in, you brought up a really, um, a really good point, which is interpreting your internal sensations when you're not used to naming or being able to talk about your emotions. What happens in medicine space often is that these raw and primal sensations and charges released from the nervous system starts coming up, and then the emotions start wanting to rise, and. What can be difficult if the preparation has not been um, has not been done? People have not been supported to prepare for for this depth of work, right? And to understand what they're likely to be releasing is that either they sh- they yeah. try and hold it in and shut it down, they just sit there like holding it all in and repressing it, or it comes out in this huge, um, unsupported, oh, yeah. fragmented, um, excessive, sometimes re-traumatizing experience. Oh. And unfortunately, the shaman slash space holders often can't um, support because they can't see what has happened in that person's history. So I've worked with a lot of people who have gone through these really big, evocative experiences in medicine space. And I say, when they come to me to integrate, I say, well, you know, they often talk about having a bad trip. And when I asked them about it, it was most of the time, it was because what they experienced, they were not able to be supported to understand it it was too it was scary when it was happening nobody intervened in the right way to help them with the trauma release to show them what was happening so they're just left there screaming for an hour having someone like wave feathers in their face and like pour agua de florida on their back and like spit it in their face and like they actually have no concept of what their body is releasing now if that's if that's in utero birth trauma if that's sexual trauma if that's rape and the shaman doesn't know because they can't see it, or the space holder can't, has never worked at that level, right? What happens to that person? They shame themselves because they're like, wow, I was such a mess. Everyone else saw like pink unicorns and like they were one with the universe and I was there, you know, screaming and crying and I, I, I must be a terrible person. <laughs> what does that go back to? Their sense of self-worth, their worthiness to exist. And in that sense, medicine work needs to be supported with proper preparation integration and somatic trauma awareness has to be i totally agree. i mean we so we did a uh, a journey with a, a few of my friends in october of 2021 and before we did it we did a full health screen including a mental health screen including like traumatic experiences 
we had medication and food allergy interaction forms. We had uh, we brought in a trauma nurse to the to the event who was experienced in psychedelics, and um, we had a whole like a whole procedure set up. And that's because we've done this a few times now, and we know. And and, and before that, we had a pre meeting, just like you were saying, to prep everyone for what the experience could be like, what some what the what the release valve was, you know, how to proceed, what the how they were going to be held during the process to put them at ease so that hopefully they would be able to feel like they're in a safe space. What I've seen in the past is that people are underprepared. Some people, like you were saying, will like just just ball up and not allow it to, to occur. And others will be, if, if they're going to be wild, it could be dangerous to themselves or others. And not only re-traumatizing themselves, but just too much flipping out is not good for yeah. anybody. And it also yeah. brings down the energy of the whole space. If you have someone who's really having a, a time that is screaming bloody murder and getting up or trying to do something, you know, crazy that can bring down the energy of the whole space. So you have yeah. to account for that beforehand, which exactly. is why we try to set those processes in place because yeah. we have had times where it's like, Oh, <laughs> that was something to watch out for. Oh, so next time we'll know this is how we're going to set it up. And over time we realize, Oh, there's a, and then afterwards the integration of like following up with the shaman, following up with how are you feeling? What are you seeing? You know, um, a lot of the, it's really important to understand, uh, medical interact or um, prescription interactions too and contraindications too. If you're doing psychedelics, especially things like um, especially things like DMT uh, particularly, and you have you're on antidepressants, it can be very dangerous. So be careful. Yeah. It's true. And a lot of people that I meet feel like they are willing to lie about that to get into medicine spaces. Yeah. Because it's for you, not me. <laughs> but they they've been let down by every system they've engaged with, right? The medication hasn't no. worked. The trauma therapy no. didn't work. They want the psychedelic medicine to work. The psychedelic space holder is saying, you can't do it if you're on this medication. And they're like, gotta take, but it doesn't a, work anyway. Take, yeah, t- then take a couple months off. That's it. Just take yeah. a few months off. And this is where it gets, you know, it gets really important for people to know how they can manage their medication. And gradually, if that's their choice, they gradually come off and prepare uh-huh. themselves for, for medicine work. And not what you're doing turkey. is approaching that. Yeah, not just cut cold turkey, cut it because that. You know, there's there's implications, and and I always say to people, don't don't lie because you need to you need to take the, these protocols are in place for a reason. Like the yes. protocols that you've put in place sound good, and the longer you can stretch this um, stretch it out for, like the web of support, the better. Because sometimes, like when I was doing medicine work, I he- I heard this. I don't know whether you also heard it that this, um, especially with ayahuasca, that the medicine continues to work even when you're not drinking. And I didn't believe it right at the beginning, right? So how can it continue to work? And it does. And I would be two months later, after the ceremony, I'm back from the jungle, on my bathroom floor, fully in the experience, having a purge, having visions, everything. I'm going, it does work. But two months later, all the... All the integration, you know, all the support, all the, everything's fallen away. There's no one there to support you with that. So when I work with my clients, I make sure it's like a long-term. Um, yes. They have long-term support or resources, like my podcast, et cetera, to go back to and refer to. But they have people, like community as well. Otherwise, That's it important. can get really difficult when the medicine comes back into your life two months later and is like, hey, don't forget about what you promised yourself. Gives you a oh, bitch yeah. slap. And then you're like, whoa, what do I do with this now? Where are all my friends from the jungle? Oh, they've all gone. You'll be, you, you will expect to integrate for a while. You know, expect yeah. to integrate. for. Ex, don't expect it to. It's, it's a quick start, but a slow burn. You know, any of these things. Especially if you and, do it um, right. 
Yeah, if you do it right. And uh, I would recommend too, if you if you do ayahuasca, that you do it somewhere traditional if you can. So I did it in Peru and I've done it in the US too. And there's nothing wrong with doing it in the US, but there's a certain type of energy again in that space where you're doing it with a traditional ayahuasca and you're up in the mountains and and there's lots of places to do it and you can get a great experience everywhere in the world. But that I thought was really, um, was amazing. And also one thing I'd, I'd um, offer is when I, because I'm listed on the MAPS website as a psychedelic mm-hmm. integration practitioner, and I've actually considered taking myself off that because what I was getting was a lot of inquiries from people saying, oh, can you either trip sit me or can I do, so- I had a really bad trip and I need to talk to someone about it or I want to do a journey, a medicine journey, like the tiny, like 10% would say, I want to do a medicine journey, I want to do preparation. And then like the rest would say, okay, I need to integrate an experience I had. I have no idea what, what that really meant for me. And across the board, it's very unlikely to find somebody who had the trauma awareness. So when I would say, I can help you, but are you willing to look at your trauma? The answer would always be no. Are you willing to heal your trauma? No. Are you willing to go into your trauma? No. Well, isn't that the why that we do the, the, the plant medicine to begin with? Why are we doing the plant medicine if it's not to heal ourselves? Right. Because for a lot of people who are struggling, they often consider it as a quick fix or this is going to make my pain go away. This is going to take my depression away. This yeah. is going to solve my anxiety. And no. I really need to say that this is a mirror of you. No. Those are all symptoms of yes, something thank else. You. Thank you. <laughs> the, the point of the medicine is to get to the root. It's yes. a medicine. It's supposed to get the get the 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 toxic stuff out. But that's not the you're you're behaving in a way because you have a, a, a root cause. That's my opinion. Absolutely right. It will take you into the root cause and it will show you it. And you gotta want to go there. And I think it really is powerful when it's combined with lifestyle factors, trauma awareness, but um somatic integration and it's looked at as part of a lifestyle rather than I'm suffering. This stuff that I'm doing is not working. Let me go and do some plant medicine or let me go and take some MDMA because I've heard that's that's helpful for depression. Like if you're going to put something in your body, be informed about it and be informed about your trauma and try yourself to get to the root cause before. And don't expect this is another thing I would say. Don't expect it to be one sitting okay i'm gonna go i'm gonna do mdma once i'm gonna do i'm gonna do dmt once and then all my problems are gonna go away and i'm gonna be i'm gonna feel great you might feel great for three days until it all starts to come down yeah i mean it's just like even if you were to take steroids for instance you need to keep taking them and you need to work out a lot it's not just about the steroids you got to train a lot eat a lot keep taking them you know and and with the dmt or the ayahuasca you know it's not something that you need to be on your whole life and and you can certainly take years in between sittings, but if you're talking about doing your own deep inner work, it, it's it's just something that never really stops. And if you start, if you ever think in your head, well, I've pretty much gotten my inner shit together, you probably haven't. So I don't know, like there's no one, there's, you know, there are ascended masters walking around, but I don't think I'm one of them. So until I reach that point, I'm just going to keep removing the sludge. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And keep loving the process because it yeah. takes a lot of courage to keep digging and dig compassionately and keep stripping those layers away it takes courage it takes self-love to do that the ones that are starting that journey are showing that they want to love themselves the people who are really involved in deeply deconstructing and opening up to a deeper love are in a realm of self-love and they're going deeper that's what this is about love or fear if you haven't started that journey look at the fear 
what's this what's the worst case scenario what are you so scared of if you if you go within and you start going into the root causes i.e the trauma i.e your childhood i've never met a single person who didn't have something happen in childhood or a sequence of cultural conditioning or religious yeah. conditioning or something. even just yeah just even just passed out family trauma like man if i were to list all the things that happened on both sides of my family it would be like and i have and if i have even a small part of that i'm like ugh, ugh you know yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of yuck, you know, and, you know, because we personally identify with the history of our family, we assume the responsibility for things that we actually didn't have a part in, but we are all still connected to the greater fabric of it. So there is a general want to like become free of that and only come, we only become free of it by really deeply examining it. So, and that doesn't happen, you know, in a day or probably a lifetime. I mean, I've, I think about it a lot and I, um, there, there is a certain amount of, uh, exhaustion that you can get with do, doing your own work sometimes it's good to go in phases you know yeah I've certainly I've certainly suffered from exhaustion and continual like continual introspection to the point where you you do start to wonder if it's kind and compassionate and I've got to that point myself and then I've had to say what would it be like to um not do that for one day like not do shadow work for one day and it got to the point where it feels really weird to just go a whole day like not looking within and like I didn't do any shadow work today I'm grounding myself or like go a day without grounding or like a day without like feeling into my own heart or like healing my own body and like I don't know it's it's a life it is a lifestyle go a day without any of that I know I don't know how they function but this is everyone in America in in the UK as well, like I was there too. Like I didn't know what what these things meant or why how they were relevant. And if you told me they were relevant to me when I was seventeen or twenty or even twenty three, I would have been like, yeah, okay, if you say so. I wouldn't have believed it until I needed to self regulate and I needed to go inside my own nervous system. Then I found, oh right, okay, this stuff is real. I I need to do, learn how to do this, and and then um, it becomes very relevant to your life and lifestyle. But I just you know, as you do it, you become more sensitive and then you can't go a day without grounding and aligning and making sure you're in your midline and making sure that you're centered for your day. Cause it, that's how you know who you are by being centered and intentional. Yeah. I, mean, I think, uh, I know there's just, there's, we could go deep down that hole. I, I, I want to talk about, uh, I was reading a, a research study recently and it's kind of a little bit of a left turn, but I think it's important. And I was wondering about this. Uh, and I had, uh, I've had multiple friends recently um, and this is why it's, it's come up, become relevant to me, who told me that they've had miscarriages. And this is something that I didn't know was such a common thing that happens in so many families and uh, especially like young mothers. And I want to know what, if you know any of the stats around this or what some of the implications are, that's something that's happening more as a result of, uh, you know, how we're, how we're living, or maybe it's happening less than before. I'm just curious about the whole issue. Miscarriage. Yeah. It's interesting. I've, I've got a podcast called how to the truth about healing your healing your womb after miscarriage i think there's so many different factors ranging from um environmental toxicity you know microplastics that are affecting hormonal balance um unresolved trauma unresolved womb trauma disconnect spiritual disconnection disconnection from womb and from your force of creation um i think there's um there's a lot of pressure on women to to procreate at certain points in, in their life and that maybe mm-hmm. it's creating undue stress on the nervous system ultimately when you look at the root causes and i when i help my clients to look at the root causes um dietary factors environmental factors um you know external toxins they all play play a role but ultimately you are sovereign over your nervous system 
when you become sovereign over your own nervous system and energy field, nothing can affect you. That's the truth because you're still living it. And until you have grounded yourself to that level, you will continue to be affected by external things. So the point is nervous system regulation and awareness of your lifestyle choices, that is the path to womb healing and conscious co-creation and conscious creation and conception in my view. uh, Yeah, no, do do you think that just based on what you've you've seen personally and maybe even what you've read, that uh, that miscarriages are happening more or less than in the past or the same? I don't know what the stats are, to be honest. I know from my experience in practice, it's very, it's, um, it's very common, but I don't know whether historically it's go- the numbers are going up or going down. Yeah. I don't know why that, I don't know why that, why that matters, whether it's going up or going down. It doesn't really matter. I, yeah. I, I just wonder if there's, um, well, because they, well, okay. Because there's talk that, some of the technology, the vaccines or the electronic equipment that we use maybe affects autism on that spectrum. And, we're, and I'm wondering if there's a link between the type of technology that we're developing and women's health or fertility. Yeah, there was um, there, w- there have been some studies into the effects of the vaccine on um, menstrual cycle. Yeah. And I believe those studies are still ongoing because a lot of people were, were reporting um, changes in their cycle length and changes in their um in their experience of menstruation, um, like pain levels, et cetera, cramping, but generally it was changes in the cycle length or the timing. And that's obviously really important because your cycle is reflecting your overall hormonal balance, which is affected by your nervous system and vice versa. So these systems are not separate. You can't have a hormonal imbalance without having a nervous system, um, a level or pattern of nervous system dysregulation. You can't. And if you have that, chances are there's something in your physical body that is out of... um, out of alignment that's that's not quite um balanced you will find that so there's chain like every system interacts with every system so anything that we if a microplastic right if continual absorption of uh, heavy metals microplastics um chemical interventions you know antibiotics anything that affects our gut microbiome all these mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. can over time accumulate and affect your um fertility your hormonal balance why would something as potent as a um, mRNA vaccine, right? That actually, right. why exactly. would that not, right? And that's where right. we have to, we go back to the beginning of this conversation where you talked about coming into your um, your seat as a conscious creator and taking responsibility, yeah. right? For what you are creating. And that's where we are again. If you want to take responsibility for creating life, take creating an innocent baby, the responsibility, as I write in my blog post and I share on my um, podcast, the responsibility is not just in painting the baby's room and buying nice clothes and throwing a party, right, and looking nice. The preparation is in making sure your body yeah. as a home, nine months that child is going to live in your body, yeah, yeah. making sure yeah. your body is fit and ready and your mental body and your emotional body and your spiritual body is all in alignment and ready to receive right and ready to nourish and if your body is not nourishing yourself why would your body be able to nourish life external to you we cannot do that we cannot keep doing that to the future generation they will not tolerate it anyway the future generation do not want to be conceived like that from a place of trauma and from a place of lack a lot of people will say, my mom didn't give a shit about what she was doing, thinking or eating when she had me. So why should I care? But that's the problem. Yeah. And don't tell me that that's not without consequence. 
Right, of if course. You go into that, yes. People who say that, when you go into their trauma history and you go into their um, their current physical health and experience, they will have loads of stuff to share. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah my mum didn't care. My mum was smoking cigarettes. And look at me, I'm fine. Are you? Are you? <laughs> that's, that's my question, right? Are you? Yeah. I just think that we have so much awareness now. We have so much free information and free knowledge available. We have publicly available discourse. If you want to do do research and start to understand what you need to do to take care of your body before you birth, before you conceive and before you um, go through the pregnancy journey, there are so many resources online that you can use to support you. Oh yeah. Why not do that? Why just paint the baby's room and throw a party and like buy nice clothes? Why not do the actual work that matters? Because the first home the baby lives in is womb. The first, the place his actual brain develops is womb. And as I say in my blog post, in the womb room, in womb room. But if you don't want to go into your own womb, why would your baby? Why would you want your baby to live there? Ugh, that's a that's that's something. Someone's triggered out there. <laughs> someone's yeah, triggered right now. Of course, I know. But of course, you don't want to go in your womb. Triggered. I'm. I don't I'm not here to play in the. Yeah, I'm not here to play in the comfort zone. Like the the truth is, if you don't want to go into your own womb, and if you can't, like a lot of women can't. When they've they're holding unresolved trauma, they feel disgusted by their own womb. It's repulsive to them. Their pelvic floor is in permanent contraction. Their cycles are completely irregular. They've got unresolved trauma imprints held in their tissues, held in the the energy field of of the womb. And then they say, "Let me let me um, bring a baby into this, and I want my baby to be really happy and healthy." But you wouldn't put a baby in a house where the foundations were rotting and the and the the central heating didn't work, and you wouldn't even go into that room. Would you put your baby in there? My baby needs to be in a, a luxury apartment, right? Um, so what would so, you what so, would you do to prepare? I mean, speaking from a male perspective, I can only say that I would do the same thing any healthy person should do, which is try to make my body as healthy as possible, my mind as healthy as possible. There's no other answer to that, right? You have to, you know, and and if you're not doing it for yourself already, at least do it for the baby. You know, exactly. That's let that baby be your teacher because that baby yeah. will be your teacher, but let it yeah. teach you in a way that's kind and compassionate rather than in a way that leads to more trauma and more pain and more grief. I've worked with women who've, when they get to the root causes of their miscarriages, are often really fascinated and blown away by what the true reasons are why their body ended up um, having to go through that process. And the things that have come up are unresolved sexual trauma, unresolved childhood sexual abuse. Um, the relationship itself was was stressful, dysfunctional and toxic and did not make them feel safe and held as a woman. They didn't actually want a child anyway, but they were doing it for um, religious or cultural reasons to, or to keep up with the Joneses. Right. Or they, triggering to someone. These are real. These, this is what I do every day. This is real, real life. Right. These are real life root causes. Or there's a, you know, chronic health issues. And chronic nervous system dysfunction that has not been resolved, that is medicated upon, still not resolved, leading to secondary health issues. And that person's trying to conceive and the body is not in a balanced state. Neither is the mind. Or the final one is that child is being used to fill a gap. So that person, um, this is very common. Um, that person has not been able to achieve what they wanted to achieve in their life, according to them, and feels like they need to create a sense of achievement or worth by having a baby. So. The energy behind the conception is that you need to fill this void. And I've not only worked with women who've admitted that, and I've taken them to a place where they feel healed enough to actually conceive in a healthy way because they've healed that initial wound. 
But I've worked with the children who've been born in that energy and have said my whole life, I felt like I was, my existence is to fill the void of grief in my own mother. And I've never known why. I've never known how to put words to this. I feel it inside my body. That doesn't surprise me at all. Doesn't surprise me at all. Now, let me ask you a question. This is something that's also just, we're just going from triggering to triggering to triggering. Uh, is the definition of a woman having a womb? Is the definition of having a woman having, having a womb? I would say that's a big, hot topic. Hot potato. <laughs> At the it moment, is. it, it, it is. wasn't. It wasn't 50 years ago. No. It wasn't 20 years ago. But now it is. Today. Yeah, it is. Today it is. I'm gonna t- I've seen one side and I've seen the other side and I've listened to both. And I love how they dance, right? With such passion yeah. and such conviction. And I just want to share my experience, my embodied experience, what I teach, the position that I heal from and heal with and um, my honest and authentic, what, what is woven through all of my work, right? Which is womb is not just a physical organ. And it's high time that we as humanity start awakening to womb. Womb is the world. We all exist in the world. Womb is relevant to every single human being and living being that you connected with when you had your transcendent experience. Every single living being comes from womb. Then we have cosmic womb, and then we have the void, right? The void doesn't have a gender. The void will destroy every single social or mental construct of anything because it is nothingness. And when you touch that place, you stop having the, you stop putting so much energy into these debates. Because you're seeking that deconstruction, divine deconstruction. That's what matters to you. And when you go on that journey of womb consciousness and you arrive at that top pyramid and you touch that place again and touch it again and you keep, as you say, deconstructing and unraveling, that's when you start to feel alive. That's when you start to feel the power of your own creation and your ability to create. Men have that ability to create. Women have that ability to create. And people who don't call themselves men or women have that ability to create. That ability, that conscious creation exists in everyone. Whether you choose to have a child to to call yourself a creator or whether you choose to, to create an artistic masterpiece or a business legacy, an empire or a whatever, you're conscious creation. You're consciously create creating. End of. I, I, uh, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I don't think there's a better way. I don't think there's a better way to look at it. And honestly, I, the more I think about it, the more I just, who am I to say what is a woman and what's not? I don't know. I, I, I think that like we're being challenged a lot on what we think gender means, how that relates to sex. There's clearly even a spectrum of sexes because you can have multiple different types of chromosome combinations. You can have multiple different sex organs at once. Uh, you can have, I mean, there's lots of different, you can have wide variations in hormonal distribution. So that is something I've come to learn about too. And that, and even just because my wife works at an LGBTQ shelter and she tells me some of the experiences and stories she has. And there's, if you're, if you're only born with one perspective, then sometimes if you have to change that perspective later in life, it takes you a few exposures to it to understand what's being said. But yeah, for, for me, and for me, I tend to lean towards that. The only thing I would say about what qualifies a woman isn't really about a womb. I don't think that's the important part. I just don't want to see women beating up men in, or men beating up women in sports <laughs> that, like who have just transitioned to from, from from man to woman, and then they go in and play basketball and they're dunking on all the girls, or they're doing MMA and then they're doing you know 
uh, women's MMA, but they have like a clearly masculine body. I think that's kind you of just don't want to get beat up by a woman or by, well, a, by well, a man. Well, I, th- I th- <laughs> if I was a woman, I wouldn't think it was fair for a for a newly transitioned woman who's who was previously a man to come in and fight me, for instance, which I've seen in like MMA stuff or in some sports where it's like there are some there are some uh, men who transition to women who are like competing in Olympic sports like powerlifting, and you're just like. This guys, this seems bizarre, right? It seems bizarre that they would come in clearly with masculine bodies and compete against women where they don't have a they don't have a physical. There's a clearly a physical, huge physical disadvantage. It is really interesting. I can't say I have any strong views. I mean, one one interesting question that's just popped up as you talk about it is, um, you know, sports is is not just a physical activity; it's also mental activity, and it requires a lot of um, um, resilience, mental agility, like capacity to to master your totally. own mind and somebody that has had to go against all the odds right to transition and to go through that journey and then to face everything that they face may actually be physically stronger but maybe mentally they're not and sports takes both but all we're doing in this in this particular um design is focusing purely on the physical aspects when we know that sport is not purely a physical experience i'm just going to throw that into play devil's advocate because that's what i do um i personally i think people who are involved in the 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 worlds themselves like sports or education where it's come up quite strongly have got vested interests and, and reasons really important reasons why they back a particular argument argument right it's really important to them and it needs to be um it needs to be honored and individuals whoever they are whatever they call themselves need to be honored how we go about doing that is something that it looks like society is trying to figure out at the moment and that's where i that's where i stand on it I'm more interested in taking people, I'm more interested in taking people into a place where they are able to embody their divinity and their non-dual embodiment. Non-dual embodiment, what does that mean? Here we are getting caught up in the dualistic world, but we need to get caught up in it before we transcend and go beyond, before it loses its charge. At the moment, it's got a lot of charge for people. It holds people. They're very charged up by it. Rightly so. That's where they are, right? Maybe that's part of their personal journey. They need to be charged up by it, right? Non-dual embodiment is a different frequency. You don't get charged up by that. Doesn't yeah. move you. No, it's not the reason why we're why we have why we have opposite genders is to create polarity. Uh, and so people get weirded out when they when they misunderstand something of the, they thought something was one way, it's another way. Uh, I my my I'm gonna make a, a public statement. My uh, view on it is anything but in fighting, I think it would be cool. I think about fighting so much that it's like the number one thing. I think oh that, that would be really unfair. Other than that, you know, go for it. Do whatever you want. I just don't want to see us a clearly smaller person get clobbered by a clearly bigger person. I think that seems unfair. Yeah, and what's fair and unfair is just this, it's just this amazing spectrum, isn't it? Yeah, I don't you can, know. You can, get, you can get physically killed. I mean, you can get physically if you have a, if you're. I mean, if you're if you're in like I'm just talking MMA now. Now now we've told. told. <laughs> and it comes but, down to it. Also comes down to your personal choice, doesn't it? And what. You take authority for yourself and you have your own autonomy. You that's put yourself true. in position. If they put them in, that's true. And that's true. Yeah. If you, if you are a competitor who agrees to compete in that space, then that's something that you also take on as well as your You can get killed doing a lot of sports these days. For sure. You can for, get killed true. with a concussion to the head, being a six foot three stacked rugby player. You can get killed. Fair enough. I have, oh man, I met someone recently who said he was. He was a professional skydiver, but he also did like parasailing, paragliding, motorcycles, dirt bikes, cave diving, you know, scuba diving. I'm like, sir, what? Uh, you don't value 
the life much, do you? And just love it, man. And you can guess he was covered from head to toe with tattoos. And fractures. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. His name was Colin. He's a super nice guy. Um, but that's like, you know, that's really someone who's who's going for it in life. Yeah. And you see those people who they scale mountains free, free oh, without the boat. What's oh, that oh kills. have you seen Free Solo? Free Solo. Oh, I know. Oh. Those people yeah. make you realize that whatever you think you're doing in life, you're not living on the edge. No, I, and there's one, another one called 14. Oh yeah, I've watched that. That's incredible. I, I just think something snapped inside this person where they have to do this. And because for me, I would do that. I would do one of them and say, whoo, it's enough for a lifetime. Gotcha. You know, I don't need to It wasn't from it. a place of ego. I know you could tell something clicked in him and he just decided to make it his life's purpose, but it right. didn't feel like it was in, from a place of ego. It felt like it was from a deeper place within him yes. of self-belief that this was yes. his destiny. To prove what humanity could do. Yes. But yes. even so, that I mean, it was pretty extreme. I highly recommend if you haven't watched it, you watch it. Uh, pretty extreme. And um, it really yeah, does. And it also, sometimes it almost weirds me out how they'll have these extreme feats of valor or um, just these incredible moments that they've documented so well because the fact that they were able to pull it off and they documented it so well, it just doesn't always happen like that. It, yeah, it was a real masterpiece. And you wonder, you wondered at some points, how did they manage to actually keep the filming going? Right. And to that quality in those conditions, it's quite right. extraordinary. Quite, yeah, because as the viewer, we're so used to just getting so much content all the time that we forget there's production that goes into all this. Yeah. And if this is truly a real expedition, then they would have been in life-learning situations on camera, which is mind-blowing. You know, there was that one where the, I think they were in one of the early peaks where they left one of their guys behind and they had to go back and then stay there overnight because he was trapped in the snow. And you're just like, wait, what? Like that alone could have just been a death sentence right there. It, it, that was that was insane. And it just it's shows- very mo- That was very moving, very powerful. Very moving. One of the most powerful things I've seen. And, and he was like, he was like yeah. oh, so I'm doing, it for, I'm doing it for Nepal because Nepal never gets any respect. Because we're the one climbing, we're the one being the Sherpa of all these like rich white people of the mountain and then they claim the credit for it. Now that is an example. What I felt from him, and it's really nice that you brought that up. I, I just felt a real true old soul, divine masculine energy within him. Because he is lit. What I felt within him was that he's vibrating as the land. And that's where he gets yes. his strength from and he gets his yeah. connection yeah. with the mountain. He did it for all of Nepal. Yeah, because he's vibrating yeah. as the land. So he trusts every step he goes on the mountain because it's him. Yeah. That is the, that, that, you know, that's what a, a mas- divine masculine can do. Yeah. There are some people who feel like that in the ocean, you know, when they're surfing. Yeah. Not me, but, you know. <laughs> Not me either. <laughs> so they're just made for it. You see, there's this guy, uh, his name is Laird Hamilton, and he goes out and he'll do um, deep, like uh, deep, big wave surfing, and he'll take a jet ski and he'll, or, and he'll, he'll get towed all the way out to the huge waves past the break where it's deep, where it's really scary, where, you know, they're as tall as a skyscraper, and he'll take a, a, uh, a surfboard and he'll jet ski into it. They'll jet ski, will let go of him and he'll surf all the way up the skyscraper and ride it all the way down. <sighs> Deep wave, big wave surfing. We're talking hundreds of feet. Do you think, do you think he's, um, what do you think he's feeling inside when he's doing that? I would imagine similar to, uh, to, to skydiving. I, I just complete flow in the moment, a mastery, home, return to presence, oneness with the universe, exhilaration, earth, you know, ancient. The, wa- the water particularly, though, is very like the water really commands respect. You know, I've spent a lot of time in the water and I am I am I have a healthy respect for it, let's put it that way. <laughs> even if have you looked at how deep it goes, you can't even really see what's at the bottom of the ocean. 
honestly. We haven't explored the ocean. No. I think we only explored like 10, 20, 10% of the ocean. We don't even and know what's down there. There are species down there that, I mean, you want to find aliens, they're already here with the, with the lantern above his face and the teeth. That's just the ones that we've seen. We found extinct species down there that we thought were extinct. We know there's a there's a cat like a like a giant crater that's on the floor of the ocean that we haven't been able to go down because the pressure is too deep. We don't have any machines that can go down there, but we think there are animals down there, things down there. I mean, that is come on, that's something. And if you imagine that, you know, that consciousness, everything that vibrates there is also in in us. What are we? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. It, it, it's freaky, you know, and, and we're yeah. really just the particles that broke off, floated close to the surface, and then became like the amoeba that then we got out yeah. here, you know, and we then somehow overtook everything else, basically by just growing a really big brain. And hands. And hands, and hands. To be able to, I, sometimes I look at my dog, I know we're, now we're bringing it fully back to earth now. Sometimes I look at my dog and I think the only thing, I know you really wish you had hands. Everything else, I'm sure is great for you, but the fact that you can't do this is such a disadvantage. You know, no, it, they like it because it means you have to do all the hard work for them. <laughs> True. That's why they, them, oh, yeah, they love them. them. scratch them because they can't quite do it the same way. They love it. You know, but yeah, this is everything. You know, this and this. Um, the human human mind is really the, the human being is really the only creative being on the planet. Isn't that true? Are there any? I mean, dolphins are pretty smart, but they're not creating things. Yeah, it's very interesting that I've been I've been reflecting on that a lot. And like, what to what extent does a human versus an animal have um, have total choice and liberation over their own um, current life choices and experience? It's just a really interesting one. Like humans, their healing capacity is immense. They just need to become aware of certain yeah. things and they can start yeah. shifting fields. But animals is kind of different. They're not. They, it's almost like they're not designed to have that level of awareness. They are designed to exist in a different dimension. Like, and I think all animals have their own dimension. Like birds, to me, are very. Um, birds, to me, are very divine, feminine, total, total in service of Earth through through real love. And then you get other other animals like like dogs are so in service of humans, like so loyal, so loyal, so like joyful, like. I don't, it's, every, everything's different. To an extent. In the ideal case, some of them. Are you talking to your dog because he's misbehaving? <laughs> no, I mean, you know, he's okay. I, I, I definitely agree, I think. Like fish have taught my I got two goldfish just last week and they've taught me a lot. I got given them. <laughs> what they teach you? They've taught me contentment can come with having nothing. Literally nothing. Because I look at them and I hope they're still alive in there. I'm doing a, I'm trying, I just start... <laughs> It's a disaster at the moment because I just started building this aquarium and it's it's currently <laughs> Hello. It's a bit cloudy. So I hope they're alive in there, but they've gone from being in a tiny bowl and I can feel into them and they're content and it blows my mind. How can you be content with nothing? Literally nothing, but they are. You know who's not content when I see them contained? And this is something that I, they're building a farm in Brazil, which uh, I, think it's, I think it was Brazil. It really scares me. Octopus, octopi. Though they're they're very very intelligent animals, and we know this, and we've done brain scans of them, and they're off the charts with their neural activity. And if you just look at them, they look like aliens. I mean, they look, look at them seriously, and how they can slip and slide around, and how they can come, become invisible. And they, I don't think, like being contained like this at all. And they're going to create an, an industrial octopus farm in Brazil, I think. And there's a lot of funding being pushed into this, and um, I think that's a really bad look for the world. Why are, they, why are they doing that? And who's behind that? Well, I was reading it in, I think it was in, uh, I think I was actually reading it in here in Bloomberg. 
Uh, I don't know who's behind it. I know that it was funded by a VC who was doing it for, I don't know if they're doing it for the, for the meat or for the testing or for the ink. I'm not sure why they're doing it, but I know it's one of the first of its kind to be an industrial or commercial grade octopus farm. And I thought that sounded extremely cruel considering what we know about them. Yeah, like a dolphin <laughs> like, farm. You'd never do a yeah, dolphin farm. Even a salmon farm is considered cruel. So why would you do it to octopus? Oh, That's honestly. Just, sometimes you wonder about who should be who should be put in the in the farm. Yeah, the well, human or the animal. And it's like this. This just explains to you what we we already know what we do when we find aliens. We're not going to be nice to them. We're going to immediately try to commercialize it or try to dominate it. And that's part of the problem with our overall perspective of you know of of the world. We we don't try to come together in community uh, with each other. But hopefully, you know, hopefully they learn something good about octopus. But I, I just can't can't see it being good for that species. Sounds like it's a, probably a farmer motivation. <sighs> oh my gosh, yeah. And, and well, you know what? I saw um I saw a, a Newsweek article the other day, and it was like had a big mushroom on the front of it. And it said uh, psilocybin you know, the savior of, um, of antidepressants. And it's like indigenous cultures have known that for years. It's hilarious when news media and pharma catches up with what's already known, you know, it's like. And it's still illegal. Yeah, still illegal. Um, yeah, we, Oregon actually, they decriminalized everything. Where I'm at, they decriminalized everything. So it's, I mean, every, every type of, even like, like, like harder drugs, they decriminalized every single drug, which I, I think is probably a good thing. Has that changed? Like has that changed anything in the in the um, like society, the <sighs> landscape? And well, here's why I kind of am hesitant about this because I was just talking to uh, Sarah, my wife, uh, just this morning actually, and like I said, she works in an LGBTQ plus shelter, and so I hear a lot of stories about different types of people and different types of situations. And this is a homeless shelter, so it's like it's not Disney World. Like it's it's rough, you know, and people have been through a lot. So sometimes she will have to call. 911 for whatever reason. And she was telling 911 is our is our emergency line. What do you what's what's your number in 909? 909. Yeah. So same thing. Uh so she said, so when I was a kid growing up, the assumption was that when you call emergency services, they pick up right away. And if you hang up by accident, they call you back or they send a car to your house because it could be an emergency. She told me that she had to wait. She called them twice. She had to wait for 15 minutes on the phone to get someone to answer. And when she hung up once, they didn't call her back. Right. So this could have been, it wasn't like the non-emergency hotline. This was the emergency hotline. So rape, murder, break-in, any of that stuff. And that's in a major city that's in Portland, which is a major city in the U.S. Mm. And we, within the past couple of years, have had this big movement of defund the police, stop stop, you know, funding these, these, uh, these criminals, these racist police criminals. And it's like, I didn't say I wanted no police. I said I wanted to, them to stop killing people. <laughs> I didn't say I didn't want them to do their jobs and be there. But we've seen a huge shift in that. So when you say uh, has the de- uh, like the the decriminalization of drugs affected the city, I don't think that's the biggest problem with the city. But I do think that we have a lot of people on drugs in the city, and there's less police, and I don't like that. What does that have to? What does less police have to do with um, decriminalizing A class drugs? Okay, well there was a lot of there were huge riots and and uh, big backlash on the police here in Portland, especially, and a lot of places in the in, on the West Coast especially in, up in, in Washington too. And um, that made a lot of police walk out. Um, that's been in combination with the fact that there has mm-hmm. been like obviously an increase in, in, in homicide rates because, because of it. So the homicide rates in Portland are, are going off the charts now. And that's, cor- that's corresponding to police leaving and also having very low response times. And that's just combined with the fact that now all drugs are decriminalized. That isn't really the main problem, but it's just there's also a, a drug problem downtown. 
Oh, really? Is there? So, so, so yeah, it, there's a, there's, so there's a lot of factors. Right. Okay. It sounds like it. It sounds yeah. like there's a lot of things that are changing in lot, yeah. Portland. Well, and it's, it's, it's not just Portland, it's the West Coast too. You know, we saw similar stuff in LA, which is kind of why we moved. Um, yeah. But I mean, you know, part of it is like, you also have to rebuild the city. You can't just say, well, the city's fucked. Like you have to, that's why Sarah's working down there. She's working with people that are down there. Like, you know, if we want the city to rebuild, we have to then invest in the community. We, ha- we can't just like leave it. There are some cities like Detroit, for instance, which is where I was born. And that's in Michigan. It was um, a place where they did most of the car manufacturing in the U.S. And as soon as the car manufacturers pulled out, the whole city fell apart and it hasn't been the same since it's mm. been um it's been crack houses and burned out buildings for the past 40 years so we wow. don't want any other cities to happen like that in the u.s and we want to you know that's why you know that's and, and i know this is kind of like now we're closing the loop here but part of this is coming around emotional awareness you know um if we're doing inner work on ourselves then we can do better in our community and our community is the exactly. lifeblood of exactly. what creates global change Yes, that's exactly right. And this is exactly um, what I was saying earlier about the work of womb is not just the work of your physical womb, it's your community, it's your family, it's your community, it's your, it's your um, city, your country, your world, and it's all connected. When you do the work, right, when you do the work, it gets mirrored in all these levels of womb, yep. from the deep oceans to our, you know, to our communities. The healing work the, and doing it from the roots and from from the womb space is really really vital for the whole web for all of us. So, yeah, what an amazing journey that we've uh, that we've gone through today. That was great, Safa. Um, tell us where we can find more about your work and, and learn and hear from you. Yeah, well, you can um, you can tune into my podcast, which is on Spotify and iTunes. Um, that's called the Kamiya Healing Podcast, and um, Kamiya means alchemy in Arabic. And you can also visit my website, uh, which is kamiahealing.com. And if anybody um, wants to join the womb room journey, then just reach out to me. Or if you're interested in your own personal healing, just get in touch. And I'm always happy to speak to people who are, you know, who are really committed to, to healing themselves and, and creating a new fabric for, for the world. Well, we're going to put it in the show notes. And I, I really appreciate your time. And that was super fun. Did a lot. That was so fun. Thanks, Daniel. We went around, we went around the whole world. It feels like we did. We went- Uh, my friends, I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as we enjoyed creating it for you. And I, I think this was a fantastic conversation with Safa. If you want to get in touch with her, you can check out her website in the show notes. It's kamiahealing.com. You'll see that in the show notes. And of course, check, uh, check in with us as well. Newwaveentrepreneur.com is where you can get all the updates on the show, all the things that we're doing on the Discord channel. Uh, that's all free. You can check out some of our workshops that we have coming up, some of the new wave dinner experiences we have going on. So it's all there. Make sure you check it out. Get on our email list. Uh, subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on and leave a comment and a review. Uh, so that's it. That's all we got for you today, guys. Uh, the water is warm. The tide is rising. Everyone jump on in and surf this new wave. Daniel out.